0: Thank you so much for that. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and let's all turn together to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this evening. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and we're looking at verses 18 down to verse 20. Again, that's Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 18 down to verse 20. Here's what the scriptures say. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Who knoweth whether he shall be wise, a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, therein I labored. Wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Now, you might be sitting here going, Pastor, that is like one of the most depressing verses that I have ever heard read for a sermon text. I want you to realize that when we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, what we see is a book that is depressing on some level until you recognize the fact that the reason that this book is written is to help us to understand that the things that we invest our lives in have zero lasting value unless you see them in light of God in eternity. In fact, it's interesting, when we read this book, the purpose of the book is really not for you to walk away and say, you know, life is empty and life is worthless and life has no value, so I'm just going to go ahead and stick my head in the sand and just, you know, grin and bear it the rest of the days that I'm here. That's really not the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes. The The purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes is to bring us to our senses So that we recognize if we live life the way that the world tends to live life and look at life, and we don't live as if there's a God in heaven, and we don't live as if there's a gospel, and we don't live as if there really is an eternal state and there really is a judgment, then really our lives don't have any lasting value. What I'd like us to do this evening is I'd like us to look at a very important topic of keeping our work in perspective. And the reality is that every single one of us really deals with a tremendous struggle of maintaining a biblical balance when it comes to our work. We all tend to drift onto one side or the other of this issue of work. Some of us don't work probably hard enough. That would tend to be our younger folks in school, maybe. And then as we get older, we get to become very involved in our work, and we start thinking about all of the different things we have to pay for and all of the things that we have to support. And all of a sudden, work can become something that completely dominates our life. The truth is, some of us are in professions that we feel like we cannot walk away from them for even a moment because everything that we're investing in is going to collapse if we're not involved in it. It's extremely important for us to make sure that when we look at this issue of work, we look at it the way that God wants us to look at it. That we draw a godly perspective on this issue of work. Work actually is a good thing. But work that is good can become a very frustrating thing. And work can become a frustration that really weighs us down heavily Work can also become an idol that we serve the rest of our lives. It can be something that we become a slave to. And so this evening, I'm going to try to take some time to look at what Solomon is laying out for us in this text of Scripture. And I'd like us to see this in light of really what the Bible teaches about this thing called work. How can we take our work and do it to the glory of God and do it in a way that really has lasting value and significance? That's what we're looking at this evening. So the purpose of the passage in front of us is that we will be warned that an industrious life lived only for today is a tragedy. You know, we think about what Jesus said where he said, what is a man profited if he gains the entire world, yet he loses his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If you could build a massive empire, a business, where you were the most wealthy individual in the world, if your labors were benefiting lots and lots and lots of people, yet you were not doing that work in light of eternity and for the glory of God, my question is this. What is the lasting value of what you do? Solomon looked at his work, and as he began to process The the result of his work when he was gone, he actually became very depressed and discouraged and frustrated. He lacked the motivation that he needed, and it's because he was looking at it from the perspective of someone that does not consider eternity. This evening, we, we will see from this text that God wants us to do our work in a godly way. God wants us to do our work with an eternal focus, an eternal perspective, and we can do that. So how can we do that this morning? How can or this evening? How can we be a people who have a godly eternal perspective when it comes to this issue of our work? The first factor, the first truth we're going to look at this evening, is that we need to see that our work has value. Work has value. We're going to go to Genesis chapter two because what we're going to see is that when God created the world and God created Adam, He created Him with purpose. In fact, I'm I'm convinced that many of the issues in life that we don't understand, many of the areas where we get imbalanced or many of the areas where we begin to veer off to the side, one of the reasons that we do that is because we don't understand that when God has created something, He creates it with purpose. He creates it with value. He creates it in a way that's meant to accomplish certain things. And work is one of those things. You know, when we talk about marriage and family, when we talk about the fact that God created male and female, we understand the purpose, the intent of those things by going back to the book of Genesis, by going back to those first statements about family and that, those first statements about male and female and those first statements about those foundational matters. Well, I want you to realize we see statements about work in the very first section of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 2 verses 7 through 19 are the passage that we're going to start with. We're not going to look at every detail of these verses, but we're going to kind of hit the highlights so we get the big picture of what God was doing when he made Adam and he made Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them responsibilities. I want you to see that God created us to be industrious people, not to be idle, not to be lazy, to be industrious, to be hardworking. To actually be working in a way that benefits the people around us. In verse 7 he says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground he made, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for the eyes and for food. And the Lord God took the man, verse fifteen, and he put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He obviously gave Adam responsibility. In verse nineteen, it says, "Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the fields and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them." Now, what's very interesting about these verses is we see that God created the world. And he put Adam in a place that he would manage, that he would work, that he would be industrious. God put him to have dominion over the plants, over the animals, over all of the creation. God wanted him to work and care for what he had made. And so in these verses, we see a couple of things about the nature of work. One is that work is good, it's not evil. God did not give Adam responsibility after the fall. He gave him responsibility before the fall. Adam knew what it was like to do work without a body that would weary the way that ours would. He knew what it was like to do work with a mind that wasn't inflicted with a fallen mind like we have. Adam knew what it was like to do work before the world was cursed by the fall. So when, when God cursed the world and he says, you're going to work of the sweat of your brow, the question is this, did he work of the sweat of his brow before the fall? And the answer is no, his work was a lot different. His work wasn't as difficult and as frustrating as our work is today. But the reason I bring that up is to help us to realize that work is a good thing, not an evil thing. Work came before the fall, not because of the fall. That shows us that work has dignity to it. God literally put Adam in the place that he put him with a task that he was to accomplish. And so Adam was doing the will of God when he walked out into the garden and he took care of the garden. That means that if God gave a responsibility to Adam that in our minds would have seemed so simple and would not have had any eternal significance I want you to realize God does the same kind of thing with us. He puts us in a place. He gives us responsibilities. He gives us tasks, duties to perform. There is dignity to the work that we do because God has strategically put us where he wants us to be, just as he did for Adam. We see that work is even meant to bring a temporary measure of satisfaction and enjoyment. I don't know how much you enjoy the work that you do, But the fact is that we can do work that we really thrive in. We can do work that we truly enjoy and we delight in. I will tell you, I love being a pastor. Now, I'm not saying that I love every single issue that I have to deal with as a pastor and that I enjoy dealing with all the things that sometimes pastors do. But the fact is, as I was driving in this morning and thinking about the service, I was just praising God for the privilege that I have to be a pastor that I have to be able to open up God's word and teach people. I was thinking about the privilege that I have to be a dad, the privilege that I have to be a husband, the privilege that I have to do so many different things that I have. That is the sense that I think God wants us to have when it comes to the work that we perform. Our physical work, our mental work, our relational work. God wants us to recognize that these things are meant to actually bring us a temporary measure of joy and satisfaction. I think it's very interesting that when God created the world, it says, he created trees that were pleasant to the sight. In other words, when you looked at these things, you go, that's beautiful. It's like one of the reasons that people like to garden and they like to plant and they like to grow things is because they like to walk out into that field and walk out into that garden and examine the beauty, the natural beauty of those things that reveal the handiwork of our creator. And they enjoy those things. It actually brings them pleasure, delight. God created some things just to enjoy their beauty, how they look, how they smell. Think about the, the fragrance of a rose. God created that. God created things that were good for food, to strengthen and sustain our bodies. The reason I bring those things up is, is to let you realize that our work is something that God intends for us to actually enjoy. Now, we don't enjoy it just because it's work. It shouldn't take the place of God. But the fact is, it's something that we should actually thrive in and enjoy and find a temporary measure of satisfaction in. Work is also meant to benefit others. The fact is that when we think about our work, we do our work not just to feed our own bellies and to take care of our children and our spouse, but we do our work to benefit another person. Let's say that you're an electrician, or you're a plumber, or you're a roofer, or you work in a hospital, or you work in some field. You are providing a service for a person who does not have that knowledge, does not have those skills, does not have that time, and so you provide a service for them, and they make sure that you are respectfully and responsibly and appropriately taken care of for the labor that you've done. In other words, our work is supposed to benefit other people. It actually is for the good of others. And so being industrious is something that's not a result of the fall. In fact, it's something God created and designed us to do. God wants our lives to be industrious and in a way that benefits the people around us. He wants us to do our work in a way that blesses and is good for our neighbor. The second thing that I want us to see is that these principles are not just Old Testament principles. But the fact is we see these things reinforced in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, notice what the Bible says. This is kind of an interesting context. And you might say, well, what does this have to do with work? You'll see in just a moment. He says, let him that stole steal no more. Now what is stealing? Stealing is doing work that takes what is rightfully yours and doesn't belong to me. Okay, that's what stealing is. Using my mind and using my body in a way that is actually destructive, not for your good and not for your benefit, but actually it is, it is, it is taking away something that belongs to you. He says somebody that's stealing needs to stop. But instead of just stopping, he says something else that's very interesting. But rather, let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Very interesting statement. Let me say it again. Let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So basically what Paul is saying is when a person takes advantage of other people and steals from them and treats them without respect and dignity and honor and takes what doesn't belong to him, it takes what belongs to them, he needs to stop doing that because it's sinful and destructive. But on the other side, he should be laboring, he should be industrious for the good of the people around him. In other words, he should work in a way that benefits and blesses people. He should work in a way that he's going to get paid. And through getting paid, you know what he's going to do? He's going to help people who have need. He's going to take care of his family. Out of his abundance, he's going to help those who have have issues. And what does that show us? What that shows us is that work is meant to bless and to benefit others. You realize one of the ways that we show that we love our neighbor like we love ourselves is we serve them in the work that we do. We serve them by working diligently and being industrious and doing our work in a way that is for their benefit. It's not just about getting a paycheck. It's about benefiting the people that you serve when you work. What that tells us is that work actually does have value. Work actually has value. Dignity, work actually matters. But the third thing we're going to see is that our work is frustrated. And the reason our work is frustrated is because of the fall. But even though our work is frustrated by the fall, that does not remove its potential for value. Now when I talk about the way that our work is, is frustrated by the fall, our work is frustrated by the fall in a couple of ways. One of the ways is that you and I have this tendency in and of ourselves to become lazy. We don't push ourselves. One of the things that we see because of the fall is that sometimes we have physical limitations. We get tired more quickly. It may not be that we're being lazy, but the fact is that we're coming across difficulties that we have to work through, and it frustrates our labors. We are working in a fallen world. It's like if you're a farmer and you're going out and you're planting the seed, you're going to get weeds. Well, that's a frustration. You're going to have animals that are going to come in and they're going to eat your produce. That's a frustration. So it's not that the farmer is being lazy and he's being careless. The fact is he's fighting against the elements because he lives in a fallen world. Our work gets frustrated because of the fall. And we see that in verses 17 through 19. He says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herbs of the field in the sweat of thy face. Thou shalt eat bread till thou return into the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And so we see that literally God cursed his creation because of sin. We see that there are emotional frustrations connected with sin. He uses the word sorrow. Sorrow is not a physical frustration. It's an emotional frustration. It's like you're doing the work and you feel overwhelmed by the difficulty of it. There's an emotional pressure. I'm sure nobody working in an office has felt any emotional pressure in their work, have you? Of course we all have. It's part of living in a fallen world. We see that there's physical weariness. Not just the emotional frustration, but the physical. He says, in the sweat of thy face, you will do the work. And so we see that life... Is difficult because of the fall. And at the end, he says, You will wear out and die till thou return to the ground. Basically, what the scriptures are telling us is that because of the fall, this good thing work that has dignity and value and is meant to bless other people becomes frustrating. It becomes difficult. It's something we have to push through, it's something that we have to encounter challenges. Those challenges are even from within our own person and our tendencies to not do our work in a way that honors God. But we still have the potential for there to be value in that. But then we're going to move to truth number two. And that is that we see that there are limits to work, and we need to look at those limits honestly. And this is really the sense of what Solomon is expressing in verses 18 and 19. Here's what he says Yea. I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. That is a very sad statement. He says I hated all the work that I'd done because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Now Solomon was an industrious man. He was a brilliant man. He was a very hard working man. Solomon got things done. And he looks at all the work that he's doing And what he starts to realize is, you know, I'm getting to the point where I can't manage these things anymore. I'm getting to the point where I don't have the strength and the ability to do the things that I'm doing. I'm going to start turning these things over. And you know what? The person that's going to take the job from me may not do what I did. It's like you've invested all of your life in your business and you're going to turn it over to somebody and the person that you're going to turn it over, you say, I don't think that they have what it takes to take this business to the next level. It's going to collapse because they're not going to be good in how they manage it and use it. This is how Solomon feels. He says, Who knoweth whether he shall be wise or a fool? Yet he shall rule over all my labor wherein I've labored, and wherein I've showed myself to be wise under the sun." This is also vanity. I don't know if you've ever felt what Solomon is expressing here. In fact, it's really one of those things that you probably don't feel it until you come to that stage of life. And you know, we kind of come through that stage of life in different seasons. You know, there are times that we go through a season where we are investing in a particular season of life and we kind of come to the end of that season of life and we realize we're about to transition from this season to a new season. And you kind of get that sense, you get that feeling with what you have done during that period of your life. You know that you've worked and you've labored and you've managed and now you got to hand it off and you're you're gonna take a new season of life. But Solomon is expressing how he felt at the end of his life Where it wasn't a new season, but it's the end of my life. Everything I've invested in, I'm going to leave it. What does this tell us? It tells us that an industrial life without eternal purpose is draining to the soul. Solomon literally hated his work. He realized that he would never see the full outcome of his labor. He says, I'm going to leave this to another man who shall come after me. He was frustrated that this person who inherited the fruit of his labors might waste them, who knoweth whether he shall be wise or a fool, yet shall he have rule over all the labor wherein I've labored, where I've showed myself to be wise under the sun. His frustration really even began to undermine the quality of the work that he was doing. He says, therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. You know, people experience this. They're working in a season of life. They have been very diligent. They have worked very hard during that season of life. And as they are kind of growing to the end of that season, they start realizing, you know, I'm about to finish what I'm doing here and I'm about to do something different. And you know what often happens when a person gets to that stage? They do not finish the last section of that time well. It is very, very common. People do it in college. They call it senioritis. So they're, in the last, they're in the last part of their senior year, and guess what? All of a the sudden, they're like, so how many classes can I skip and still pass this class? <laughs> What's the lowest grade I can get on this test and still pass? People do that in their work. You know, they're, they're working a summer job, and they got about, you know, five days left, and the boss is going, do I even bother to have them come to work this last week? Because they're already, their mind is already in the next place, and they're not giving their attention, the details to that season of life. Why is that? Because all of a sudden, what they were doing doesn't seem to matter to them very much. It's like as we get older, a lot of times, we start losing that drive to continue to do what we're doing. Why is that? Well, it's because we start feeling a little bit like Solomon. We start going, you know what? I'm going to leave this for somebody else. Maybe they're not going to do so well. Maybe I don't need to be so diligent. Maybe I don't need to work so well. But it was even more than that. It wasn't just that he was losing his focus, but he was frustrated. He really didn't feel like doing it anymore. He didn't feel like giving everything that he had to his work Because he said, what's the point? I'm going to be gone, and they may squander everything I've done. Maybe you felt this way before. I don't know. Maybe you feel this way right now. I want you to realize that that is a pretty normal way to think if all that matters is right now. But I have good news for you. There is more to the story. Truth number three, we see that our work needs to be done in light of eternity and in light of eternal judgment. And the fact is that our work can have value and we can stay motivated and we can continue to press on and be diligent and bless other people through our labors even though we know that we're going to pass it on to somebody else and they may blow it. (laughs) They may waste it. Our labors may be forgotten and lost In the eyes of the people around us, we can still stay motivated because our motivation is not what's left here, but what's coming there. That's the difference. What's going to matter is not what's left a hundred years after we're gone. It's what's going to happen for eternity when we stand before Jesus. You know, we first of all realize that in an industrious, prosperous life, it can't save us from eternal destruction. Matthew sixteen I've already mentioned this text, but he says, What is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall he give in exchange for his soul? We cannot, through a prosperous, industrious, hardworking life, stand accepted before God. It's only through the cross. It's only through the righteousness of Christ. It's only because of the gospel that God can accept us. Our industrious life is not going to give us heaven. 1 Peter 1 says that you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Nobody's going to heaven because of how much money they put in the offering plate or because of some ritual that was done by mom and dad when they were a child. Nobody's going to heaven because of money, of some corruptible thing. It is only because of the work of Christ. His shed blood on the cross. And I want you to realize that it is because of the cross and it's because of the resurrection that we do our work with eternal significance. That eternal significance is not how we get into heaven. That eternal significance is whether or not Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. The significance is whether or not Jesus will say, you were faithful with little things, I will give you responsibility with much. To whom much is given, much is required. The sense of our value is not about how we get to heaven, but it's about the blessedness of the judgment seat of Christ. And so I want you to see what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul talks about how our labor has value because of the gospel. He says in chapter 15, verse 52... When this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we understand that the gospel matters because it gives us heaven, and it gives us escape from destruction and eternal fire and hell. We are thankful for forgiveness and cleansing and being declared righteous before Christ, so we understand that the gospel is significant on that side. But what is amazing to me about that scripture is that Paul doesn't stop there, and he doesn't say, well, you get to go to heaven, so be thankful for that and just coast through life. It's not what he says. Therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable and this is the statement that really stands out always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord so the application that Paul was driving to was not just you're forgiven and you're cleansed, and you're going to heaven. That most certainly was part of it. But the application that he was driving toward was, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, the work that you do has value now. There is a significance that it could not have had without the gospel. In other words, you are investing not just in this moment, but you are investing in eternity. When you share the gospel with somebody, when you tell them how they can be saved and you walk through the law and you show them that they're a sinner and that they're separated from God and there's absolutely no way that they can be forgiven and cleansed except through what Jesus did for them on the cross and you talk about the death and the resurrection of Christ and you say, if you'll trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. There's eternal significance in that work. That person can potentially spend eternity with God forever in heaven. That person might be your child. That person might be your friend's child who you're teaching in Sunday school. That person might be a neighbor, it might be a coworker. but the reality is, that labor has eternal significance. It has eternal value. When you invest in the lives of people, that investment can have eternal value and significance. You give somebody a new roof, it's going to be good for 25, 30 years. When somebody embraces the gospel, it's eternity with God. They're both benefits, are they not? But one is only good for a while, and one is good forever. The fact is, as a pastor, when I teach God's word, one of the things that really, really, it just overwhelms me to think about is that what I'm teaching is shaping the lives of people. In other words, one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the perspective that you took through life is probably going to be in part, perhaps highly in part, based upon the teaching you hear week after week after week in this pulpit. You know what that means? That's an incredible weight of responsibility. But think about it with your kids. You know, they live in your house 15, 18, 20, 25. Well, hopefully not beyond that. They live in your house for a while. Okay, And you know what? They watch you. They listen to you. They're taught by you. And you are shaping their lives. The investment of a parent and their children is more than I will invest in most people in my lifetime as a pastor. There are very few people that stay in the same church as long as your kids live in your home. It's true. And they are watching your life day in and day out eternal investment. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is also a sense in which God is watching the way that we work, not just the spiritual work, the giving of the gospel, the discipling of somebody, sharing with someone how to walk with the Lord, teaching them God's word. But the fact is that the way that we do our daily labor is something that God watches. He's evaluating. We talk about the judgment seat of Christ. One day we're going to stand before Christ and we're going to give an account of our lives. And this is not about heaven and hell, folks. This is about whether or not you'll be given eternal reward and blessing as a result of your faithfulness. I'm going to get to a text in just a second. But the fact is that the gospel gives our work value, significance. Turn with me for just a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because I think it's important for us to be reminded of why our work matters, not how we get to heaven, but whether or not we're found faithful before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. In First Corinthians chapter three verses 12 through 15, listen to what Paul writes. He says, "We are laborers together with God. Year God's husbandry, year God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. That's work. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon his foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. That means it's going to be revealed the real value of the work that we did, it's going to be demonstrated before God. You know, it's kind of interesting. There is value in giving the gospel to somebody. They can get saved, but your motive might have been completely wrong. It could have been completely a pride-based motive, a fear-based motive. It could have been a rivalry-based motive. And while God used you as an instrument to reach that person, there is value in that... When you stand before Jesus, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. We build our houses out of wood, don't we? But wood doesn't last forever, does it? In other words, the benefit is there, but it is not eternally there. And So he talks about the fact that some people's houses are built out of wood, hay, and stubble. Others, gold, silver, precious stones every man's work will be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. Now to put it in very simple terms, the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment are not the same judgment. The great white throne judgment is where every person who has rejected the gospel is going to stand before God. And really there's one basic point question evaluation. What did you do with Christ? Did you embrace the gospel and trust Christ or not? You reject the gospel, you're judged eternally. Your works cannot earn you salvation. They can't give you eternity with God. The Bible is so crystal clear of this. But sometimes Christians get in their mind, if I'm not going to be at the, judge, the great white throne judgment, then I guess that there is no evaluation judgment for me, is there? And the answer is that's not true. There's a second judgment, and this is the judgment for the Christian. The evaluation is not heaven and hell here, folks. You are there because you are saved. You are there because you are righteous in Jesus. You are there because you are forgiven. But God is evaluating the quality of the work that you did on this side of eternity. In fact, it's interesting how he puts it at the end. He says, if any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss, yet he himself will be saved. So even if a person stands at the judgment seat of Christ, and much of their labors were not of the value that we want to see, They're still going to heaven because of Christ's righteousness. But there's an evaluation being made at this place. It's an evaluation of service. It's kind of like you're coming to a point where you are being evaluated perhaps for promotion. And so the people that are over you, they look at your they look at, you know, how prompt were you? They look at the quality of your work. They look at the, the way you interacted with the people around you. They look at all these different variables. And based on the way that you performed in the workplace, they determine, I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you a new opportunity, a new responsibility. It's basically made on the basis of how you performed in your work. I want you to realize that's really the sense of what God is talking about in the text in front of us. We have the privilege of laboring with God. Investing our lives in things that have eternal significance. Our labors are going to be reviewed to determine the value of what we've done. Not just the outcome, but the means to the outcome. Not just the means to the outcome and the outcome, but the motivation that got us to that point. God is looking at it all. The Bible teaches he will reward us appropriately and eternally in proportion to the true value of the work that that we've done. Literally, the text tells us we will experience real eternal loss or real eternal reward on the basis of our faithfulness or unfaithfulness. So I ask you this simple question. How do you do your work? Why do you do your work? Do you feel like Solomon? Or do you recognize, you know, the work that I do actually has significance? It actually matters. I'm doing it for God. Go through the New Testament and read how many times that when God talks about work, he says, for you serve the Lord Jesus. Or he talks about it doing heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Notice how many times in the New Testament he says, do this or you will lose your reward. It's really interesting. It's something sometimes we overlook, but I want you to realize that your work matters. The work that you do as a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife, as a laborer in a business, as an owner of a business. The work that we do in ministry as we serve others, something as simple as bringing a meal, giving the gospel, discipling another Christian, investing in people's lives, mentoring, all of these things, both what we would view as being more secular and those things that we would view as being more sacred, the reality is they are responsibilities that God wants us to be industrious in. If God cared about how Adam worked in a field, then he cares about how you do your job. I think it's so important that we look at our work the way that God wants us to look at it. God wants us to do our work with a godly, eternal perspective. So I want to encourage you, let's remember that our work really does matter. And let's remember that even though there are tremendous limitations and frustrations associated with working in a fallen world, there is a judgment seat of Christ. And God wants us to be faithful because on that day, the true value of the work that we've done will be revealed. Let's bow together for prayer and ask the Lord to bless these truths to our hearts. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study the scriptures. I pray that you'll use these truths to help us and encourage us and strengthen us. Father, help us to be godly men and women, godly young people. Help us to do our work heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. Help us to be diligent. And I pray that you would use us in mighty ways for your good purposes. Father, I pray that if someone is discouraged in their work, whatever that may be, that you'd use the things that are said today to encourage them and motivate them and strengthen them. If somebody's feeling a bit on the disillusioned side or frustrated and angry, I pray that you'd help their work to be brought back into focus through some of the things that were said. Father, help us to realize we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and there are blessings that await us the faithfulness of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.